Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, we have our first successfully recorded live event, Third Time's the Charm. It is the audio from our in-store book launch with Anita Kelly for their latest romance, Something Wild and Wonderful, which, if you follow us on Instagram, you will already know that I cried my way through in a good way. This is one of my favorite conversations yet. Please do excuse the background noise. We did our best, but it was a live event, and for some reason, we couldn't convince the city to block off the whole street. You'll hear Anita talk about their background as a romance reader and writer, the process of getting something wild and wonderful from great idea to final draft, how they approached writing what is a version of a classic queer trauma narrative in a realistic but hopeful way, writing hiking that hardcore PCT through hikers approve of, the trials and tribulations of writing a book where nothing really happens, which I mean as a high compliment, and discovering they'd written an autistic main character. You'll also get a sneak peek at book three in the series and a discussion of Alana of Trabond as an underappreciated queer icon. I introduce Anita at the start of the recording, so without further ado, I'll let the magic of podcasting transport you back in time to March 8th, 2023. Anita, who has written Something Wild and Wonderful, a book that many of you are currently holding, um, is originally from a small town in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania and now lives in the Pacific Northwest with their family. A teen librarian by day, they write romance that celebrates queer love in all its infinite possibilities. Whenever not reading or writing, they're drinking too much tea, taking pictures, and dreaming of their next walk in the woods. They hope you get to pet a dog today. I do. Did you get to pet a dog today? No, but there was a very cute dog sitting behind us at dinner just now. So that was, yeah, it was pretty exciting. We get a lot of good dogs in here. It's, yeah, it's a real perk. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so to start, what is your background as a romance reader? When did you start reading romance? Oh, so I only started reading romance, I'd say within the last like five years. Like I never read it when I was younger because I was pretentious and yeah, like I was never really exposed to romance until recently um, ish in my life. And so I think. The first books I picked up were Alyssa Cole's Loyal League series, if that's the name of the series, mm-hmm, yeah. and um, Alicia Rye's Kate to Love You series. And so both of those just got me hooked. And so ever since then, it's kind of all I read now. Yeah, so I've come to it as an adult. Do you remember what made you pick those up? I think at the time I was writing for Book Riot. And so in a lot of our like monthly roundups, people would recommend those books. And so I just picked them up. And then I was like, oh, romance is awesome. So what is your background as a writer? Were you writing well before you were reading romance? Um, Yes. Like I went to undergrad for writing um, in Boston, but... I took one fiction class and was like, well, I suck at this. And so I kind of lost my belief in the ability to write fiction. Um, I actually, so I had to to choose a specialty in my program. So my specialty was actually creative nonfiction, which was basically writing essays about my feelings. Mm -hmm. And so then I didn't really do anything with that degree, but I did do some nonfiction writing. Like I said, I wrote for Book Riot for a while and a 
ill-fated queer media site for a long time, but that was just kind of all on the side. And so it wasn't really until I started getting into romance that I was like, maybe, maybe I can do this. And so, yeah, then things just kind of took off from there. And my debut, Love and Other Disasters, got into this mentorship program called Pitch Wars. And my mentors were Rosie Dannon and Meryl Wilsner. So they kind of like taught me how to write a romance novel what a and working. Team. I know. It was actually like right before either of their debuts came out. So like they were relatively not known at that point. But what they were looking for in a romance novel that they wanted to work with was like exactly what Love and Other Disasters was. So it just melded together perfectly. Um, and they're both the best. So yeah. And then I got the book deal after that. And then now we're here. The rest is history. <laughs> What is your writing process like? Do you have like a specific candle and a specific pillow or is it just like chaos? Uh, yeah, no, I'd say it's more chaos. I don't think I have a writing process. Like I'm not a like intense outliner or planner. I kind of have a general idea. And then I normally have to start writing to understand my characters. So I always start with characters of like who these people are and then kind of figure out what happens to them. So I normally start writing to figure out who the people actually are. And then somehow it ends up into a book. Yeah, I, I don't have a good writing process, but it's worked out so far. Okay. So you start with characters. Yes. But through hiking the PCT is a genius romance premise because you just have two people who like have literally nothing to do but talk to each other for like four months. Yeah. And like, then like occasionally run into other people whenever it's convenient for the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like how did, when did that come to you as an idea? Um, so I actually wrote the first draft of this book before I got my book deal. Like it was kind of after I had finished working on Love and Other Disasters or what became Love and Other Disasters. And so I was working on this while I was, you know, querying and getting an agent and, um, that kind of whole process. And so I'm kind of glad that I wrote it before I got a book deal or like knew anything about publishing, really, because I was just writing it for myself. And I don't know now if I would have been able to write this book because it is just kind of two people walking through the desert for a long time. And like, I don't know, that's a hard pitch to sell. Um, but somehow... You know, I, I had, so I got a three book deal. And so this ended up being like the second book. And I was technically contracted to write rom coms, but this was the only other book that I had. So I turned it in for the second book. And I was like, here's this really sad book about walking through the desert. Let's do it. And yeah, and so I had hiked, you know, a part of the PCT. I've not hiked the entire thing. And nature has always been really important to me. So I always knew that I would write like a nature book. So yeah, so I knew that this would be something that I would want to write about. And it really is kind of the perfect like forced proximity of, and it's really what I like to write because it's just like about characters. Like it's just about these two people and their interactions. So it's kind of my sweet spot. But yeah, there did end up being a very long editing process of it, which I knew because my editor called me actually before she'd even finished the first draft. And she was like, so because the first draft was just from Alexi's point of view. 
who, if you've read it, it's still pretty obvious that Alexei is like the focus of the book. He has the most trauma. And yeah, and so the first version was just kind of his sad thoughts for like 100,000 words. So my editor was like, well, we are, you know, going to be marketing this to rom-com readers or whatever. So she wanted me to add in Ben's point of view, who is the more like sunshiny character. And so I had to change it from a single point of view to a dual point of view, which was a big change, but it was worth it in the end because it really does kind of help balance Galaxy's sadness throughout. But I don't know if I answered your question. I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> but yes. that was kind of the process of writing of writing this book. And so I was very nervous, yeah, about putting this book out there because it is also different in tone to the first book. Um, but so far, it's just been super well-received as much as I like ever could have hoped. So I'm glad people want to read a PCT romance. The Sad Thoughts by Anita Kelly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's a, I didn't realize I was reading it and trying to figure out like how it was connected to Love and Other Disasters for a while. And then, I mean, it's clear by the end, but there's a scene in Love and Other Disasters where I think London's on the phone with their sister who's being forced to, like, night hike. Yeah. <laughs> and that's with Ben. Yes. So by the time Love and Other Disasters was published, you had this. You were set on this. Yeah. It was like, so, yeah, this is tangentially related to the first book because I didn't, because, yeah, I, again, I didn't really know anything about publishing at all, like, when I got my book deal. And so... When I submitted Love and Other Disasters, my agent was like, so what other book ideas do you have? I'll submit it with this because like this editor is interested in it. And so I gave kind of my next couple book ideas. And then I got my contract and it was like three book series. And I'm like, oh, I'm writing a series. Okay. <laughs> so then I had to kind of, you know, connect them all together, which again, I, between the first and second one is like, yeah, kind of tangential. But then by the time I wrote the third one, which I'm working on now, I was able to really kind of like wrap all the characters together. And that's been really fun. Yeah. So I think they work well as standalones, but they are, they're in the same universe, I guess. So yeah, there's connections, slight connections between them. Can you tell us anything about book three or is it like still a secret? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I'm like supposed to not talk about it, but no, I just submitted my first draft of it. So I have no idea how much it will change. But so the third book is Julie's book, who is London's twin sister from the first book. And in the second book, she's Ben's best friend. So she's kind of this important side character, supportive character in books one and two. And so book three is her book. And it's, I call it sports adjacent. It's like kind of a sports romance. Julie in it is a high school basketball coach. And she meets her old school basketball hero. Um, and anyway, so it's it's a sapphic romance with like ace vibes because Julie has no idea like who she is and she's never dated before. And so it's, she's like really messy. And I like writing about messy, like, you know, confused people. So it's and so that's like much more a rom-com than this one is. It has kind of a lighter tone at the same time that also deals with like depression and foster care I don't know I, I always like throw in depressing things along the way but I still feel like it's more of a rom-com than this one anyway so I, I'm excited to work on that one after promotion for this one is done yeah that sounds fun I'm in <laughs> speaking of things that are depressing yes um which is apparently 
your wheelhouse. Yeah. I don't feel bad about asking this. But so no, there's a lot going on in this book, like emotionally. I cried my way through this book, which was great. I really enjoyed it, but in a crying way. Yeah. Um, So this is not a spoiler because it's clear from like the first chapter, but Alexi, who's one of the characters, his family, he says, cut him off or like disowned him when he Mm -hmm. came out six months before the start of the narrative. Yeah. So how did you approach writing that? And was there any particular reason that that story was calling out to you to be written? Yeah. So... So Lexi's story is not my story. Like I was not truly inspired to write it from my own experiences, even though I was, you know, I was raised super Catholic. I went to church every single Sunday, but I don't feel particularly traumatized by that. But where Lexi really came from is my day job is being an educator. And so I had met this um, kind of subgroup of students where I work. There's kind of a large like Russian and and Ukrainian immigrant population that are in this very intense sect of Christianity. And the students were like the sweetest students in the world. They read a ton of books, my libraries where I worked, but they would just talk to me about their home lives. And it, it just seemed like... A very intense world to live in. Um, they have like all these duties to their church and to their family. And so I was just worried about them. Like what happened? To, I work with middle and high schoolers. So like what happened to those students once they graduated? And, you know, if they grew up and discovered that they wanted to be someone who their family and their church did not expect or want. And so, yeah, so his character kind of came through a few different youth that I knew that I was worried about and so kind of like writing my way through that worry for them and writing it in a what I would think would be a realistic way but also a hopeful way but I was very concerned about writing that story because you know it's kind of like just the classic queer trauma and so I was worried that people would think I was and like you know, capitalizing on queer trauma. So I wanted to make sure when I wrote it that it did have like a sense of hope, you know, at the end and throughout. And I also wanted to make it like neither anti or pro-religion. Like I didn't want to go really one way or the other or really even make it about religion per se, but just about like what a person of faith you know, maybe struggles with as uh, a queer person. And so I hope I struck that balance. But yeah, I was definitely worried about all of the content in this book. But so far, people have reacted really well to it and have found it cathartic to read, which is what, you know, I'd really hope for. So Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of a lot of queer romance now is not telling that story, I think. And so I always, I mean, I was, I'm glad to have this in the bookstore because I feel like I'm sure there are a lot of people who read queer romance and are like, I love that this is like a queer normative universe and everybody is happy. But also if that's not been your experience, it could be potentially alienating and it's nice to have a book to give people that is hopeful and also not extremely cheerful all the time. Yeah. And I feel like too, as a teen librarian, like I've read a ton of queer YA. And so I feel like I've read a bunch of YA where it's a similar storyline and, you know, often the teen is kind of like, well, you know, 
F this and they like, you know, find a better found family, which is a much healthier thing to do. But I just had this idea of like, well, what happens when you're an adult and you go through the same exact storyline and you've been immersed in this toxic theology for, you know, almost 30 years and it's not as easy for you to like disentangle yourself and maybe you don't want to walk away from all of it. And so that was kind of where Alexia's story came from. Another thing that's very big in this book, hiking. Yes. Yeah. They do a lot of hiking. (laughs) Um, You hike. What parts of this, the hiking writing is from experience and what parts of it were like book research? Can you book research hiking? Yeah. Well, I did a lot of it because, yeah, so most of this book is set in Southern California, where I have not done most of my PCT hiking. So a lot of that was research-based, watching a ton of hiking videos and hiking guides and, like, birding research because Alexi is a birder um, and all that kind of stuff. But all the experiences are kind of from my own experiences like their first trial and tribulation is they run into this snowbank that Ben is terrified of and I had had a snowbank that I was terrified of like when I was hiking the PCT and yeah so a lot of the things that they go through are really kind of from my own back backpacking experiences but so most of my research was about the setting and making sure that all the details of the setting were accurate um, for the parts that I haven't hiked. But yes, no, I did. I had like a meticulous spreadsheet because it was really important to me to get the hiking right, even though like I knew most of the readers of this book would just be romance readers and wouldn't really care. But I'm like, because through hikers of the PCT are like intense people. And so I'm like, what if a through hiker reads this? And like, it's like Anita got this wrong. And so I had this spreadsheet of like how many miles they would hike per day and when they would need to take zero days, which is when you need to rest after a certain amount of hiking and like the different landmarks that they'd be passing by. And like, yes, I have their whole hike in this like intense spreadsheet that I would cross-reference like as I was writing and what flora and fauna they might be passing. And which was really fun. I was like, I was nerding out on the hiking portion of that because I love hiking. Yeah, but so far, like I've had a few hikers be like, oh, this is really accurate to the trail. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. That's impressive because I feel like whenever there's a romance novel about something that I have a lot of like real life experience about, I just can't. I'm like, it's not. I can't read that one. Like they're a lawyer. (laughs) Like I can no, I can't do it. So if the hikers are like on board for this, that's impressive. Yeah. The most common feedback I've gotten is I would never in my life want to do this, but I enjoyed reading about it. And I think that that's good feedback too. Thank you. I've had a few people be like, this inspired me to take a walk. And that also <laughs> makes, and that, that like makes me feel really good. I'm like, good for your mental health. I'm glad. So yeah, I'm, I think that's about where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about how you start from character and in this book in particular, and I mean this in a complimentary way. There's like no plot, really. No. Like nothing happens. No. Um, which is great. It's like my favorite kind of book. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to Faded Maids. It's a podcast. Yeah. So she calls it basically like two people in a phone booth romances yes. where they're just like you're very close to each other and nothing else is happening. Yeah. What are the like joys and challenges of writing a book like that? For me, I for me, I love it because you really just get to dig into the character development, which is what... I love the most. But yeah, but you do have to 
still have the same like you know points that drive the tension and like make people want to keep turning pages. But that was my biggest worry with this book was I mean, I keep saying and this was my biggest worry. I had lots of worries about this book. But my biggest worry was that it would be boring because like people would get bored of these people hiking through the desert. So far, people have not said that for the most part. But um, did someone say that to you? They were like, I'm no. bored of these people hiking this desert. <laughs> no, no one's actually, no, no actually said that to me. Um, like, that's something you can keep to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, but it is different. Like, so the, the next book I'm working on, Julie's book, like I said, is more plot heavy. Like, more stuff happens in it. And I've been struggling with it because, like, I just want these two people to hang out and talk. And, like, shit keeps happening instead. And I'm like, like, I want to get to, like, the character development. But, like, I have to set up all the stuff in their life instead. And so it kind of is nice when you – so both of my first two books, you know, it's, like, people falling in love in a bubble. And so you just really get to delve into this world that's just them and kind of focus on what is important to them. And like, I think what's so beautiful in particular about hiking with someone is that you spend so much time just in silence with each other. And so it's like all these quiet moments where, you know, they're really becoming comfortable with each other and getting to know each other through, you know, just existing and like getting through the trail together. And I don't know, I just love that quiet kind of stuff. So actually someone else, um, another YA writer just messaged me the other day saying, I'm actually also writing a PCT book. Um, and she was like, but it's kind of hard because all of the, t- like the tension and conflict has to either come from the characters or the trail. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, isn't that great? <laughs> That's all you have to focus on. Um, but she must be better at plot than I am. So yeah, for me, it's like really like my sweet spot of where I like to write of just focusing on the inner connection between the characters. So it, it worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> you also mentioned, well, you. I went back to look at the author's note in the hard copy and it was yeah. different than the author's note in the arc, I think. So I can't quote you because I didn't have my arc with me. Yeah. <laughs> but in the original author's note that I read, yeah. I think you talk about how you either didn't intend to or didn't realize you were writing Alexia's Neurodivergent when you started. Yes. And I wonder whether or how did you sort of come to like discover that about him as a character? Yeah, that was one of the most interesting parts of writing this book. So my editor had a note about Alexi at some point like we went through many revisions of this book and I love my editor I feel like she really understands like my brain and my writing and most of her comments I'm totally on board with but there was this one comment about Alexi and she was basically asking like why is Alexi the way he is like why doesn't he have more friends why doesn't he have more hobbies like why isn't he more sociable and so she was trying to push me to like add things to his character like that and I just had like a physical reaction to it. I'm like, that's not who he is. And uh, so I was trying to like get through my feelings about this with my writing group. And this one person who is super kind and super knowledgeable about disabilities and neurodivergence and all different things, she was like, well, it sounds like Alexia's neurodivergent. And I was like, oh. And it was this like light bulb moment of like, oh, damn. And so... I realized I'd basically written a neurodivergent character without at all explaining that, like without explaining how his brain works and who he is. And so I took 
some time to like sit with that. And then I re, you know, rewrote him to hopefully explain his brain better, send it back to my editor. And at the same time, I sent it to a sensitivity reader, or sometimes they call them that authenticity readers who are, you know, specialists in different issues that can read your work to make sure that you're not fucking up too much. And so I sent it to this wonderful person, Ellie, who read it. And she, she sent me a message. She's like, so I'm like two chapters in and Alexi is autistic as fuck. And it was like, I just felt like such a relief when I got that message. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not. You know, like my reaction to my editor's comments like make sense because this is who he is. And so, yeah, so then, um, you know, Ellie's comments really helped me. And she also just gave me a bunch of resources about, um, you know, autism in general. And so once I kind of got confirmation that like, yes, you know, he is definitely autistic. It was important to me to name that on the page. So he is officially diagnosed as autistic at the end, um, which I don't consider a spoiler because I think it is pretty obvious throughout that he is neurodivergent. Um, and I think especially the way that he was raised, like his parents wouldn't have necessarily paid attention to that kind of diagnosis or agreed with it as a child. So I want it to be like kind of a positive thing because he is like, oh, he gets to understand more about himself and love himself better through that diagnosis. Yeah, it was this moment where I was like, well, I just kind of wrote him the way I think. And then I was like, oh, okay, maybe I need to do some research into this for myself. Um, so yeah, that was this whole kind of light bulb moment for the book and for, and for my brain. <laughs> but I was, yeah, so I was really grateful for the readers that helped me figure that out and fine tune it for his character. I feel like there are a lot of romance authors where I've read like, I wrote this autistic character and then I was like, wait, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> Do you have any favorite tropes to read? Um, yeah, I love like the angst of a second chance romance. I would love to write a second chance romance one day. I love like her comfort. I, I really love all of them. Um, I, I love reading fake dating, but I, so the third book that I'm working on, Julie's book, I tried to make it fake dating and it was like horrible. It like <laughs> didn't work. I don't know how, how people like do it. I'm like, this feels weird. Like the whole time, like the premise for this fake dating doesn't feel right. And then my editor was like, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> and so, um, she helped me change it. And I was like this relief of like, thank you for telling me this is not good. Cause I just wrote an entire book where it felt bad. And thank you for confirming that's bad. Um, but I love reading, fake dating. Yeah, I really love all of them. I would give anything a try. I don't know if I've ever actually read like a surprise baby and like that kind of stuff, but I would give it a whirl. The secret baby. The secret baby, yeah. yes. <laughs> secret baby's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I like enemies to lovers but I feel like I'm kind of picky about it because sometimes I read it I'm like well these people are just assholes like mm -hmm. this is just a toxic relationship like I don't want them to get together um so I feel like that has to like really be done well like there has to be actual respect and like from the beginning and anyway no it's true it's yeah. hard to establish like I don't have enemies yeah, like in the world, like in a fantasy novel or whatever, I'm like, sure, you have an enemy, like your sworn enemy. That's a thing. But like, yeah. I don't go around being like, that's my enemy. I yeah. have an enemy. So it's tough. Yeah. You have to like set up that they're enemies, but also you want them to date. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it's a hard one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, 
Before we go to audience questions, this is my personal most important question of the mm-hmm. evening, which is, is this, is Alana the lioness, like this Tamara Pierce thing that she's a queer icon? Do people know this? Am I the person, the only person who doesn't know this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I agree. But why? Why is Alana from the Lioness Quartet a queer icon? Is this book still popular with, with the tweens and the teens as a teen librarian? Sometimes. Okay. I have like a few like hardcore nerds that will still check out Tamora Pierce. Um, I, I don't know exactly like why I picked, I can't remember why I picked Alana in particular, but she is like, so she is a character who wants to dress like a boy so that she can become a knight because she doesn't want to like do the girly shit that she has to do. And so she switches roles with her brother because her brother's supposed to go be a knight since he's a boy. And her brother really wants to be like a magician. And so she's like, you go be a magician and I'll be you so I can be this badass knight. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And they just like immediately like accept this plan. Um, And so she pretends to be a knight. And I think I've like read a few other queer authors who have cited her um, as a queer icon. And like when I read it now, it just reads very queer to me. Yeah. And so like I, I like Alexia, I don't know if I ever would have read it as queer as like a kid, but I was also a very repressed kid. And I and I think I picked t- that in particular because Tamora Pierce is so queer friendly and is like an actual really great ally. Um, she, I've seen her, I think maybe the reason I picked it is because I've seen her tweet about someone saying Alana was a queer icon and she like tweeted that she thought that it was like a really great honor for her um and that she was really glad you know that people can find queer comfort in her work I know in like an earlier draft Alexi also reads a Mercedes Lackey book but then Mercedes Lackey said something transphobic because like they're always saying something transphobic and so I had to take it out but Tamora has been like solid like the whole time that she is like she gets it. And so, yeah, I wanted that little tribute to her. And it just fits for me with Alexi being like a, you know, sci-fi child nerd. And so, yeah, it was just a little touch of softness of him bringing that book with him on the trail. I loved those books and I did not read them as queer, but now I'm like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. This is going to be a thing. I'm yeah. going to say this to people like it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're all just going to do it. Yeah. Another thing about those books that I always think about is a romance thing, which is that Alana has violet eyes, which is they such a romance have thing. Eyes, yes. Which so, isn't a thing. No. Like, nobody <laughs> has purple eyes. Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor had violet eyes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So one person. <laughs> <laughs> and she got married seven times. So there you go. Attracts. Violet or gray. People have like very intensely gray eyes as well in mm-hmm. romance and you have sci-fi to have lovable eyes or yeah. you're not actually lovable. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's the lesson. Yes. All right. So audience question time. I have some that people emailed, but if you have a note card, okay. Um, did writing for Book Riot make you love books more or did you get oversaturated? Oh no, it made me love books so much more. Um, Because I think one of the reasons I liked writing for them is because um, they weren't pretentious about books. Like, I think that was what my undergrad writing program really, like, it was just so pretentious. And so, like, I think that was why romance felt like such a home to me, like, as soon as I discovered the genre and romance readers, because they just loved books without, like, having to sound really 
you know, smart about it and whatever. But no, like at Book Riot, they had writers that loved romance, that loved mysteries, and that loved, like I had never heard of cozy mysteries before I wrote for Book Riot. And and so, yeah, I feel like they exposed me to a lot of different genre stuff that I didn't know before and just made me want to read like a million books all the time. So no, I think it really expanded, yeah, my love for writing or and reading. Do you need to read Love and Other Disasters first before reading this book? No. Yeah, I, like this book is very standalone. Um, London and Dahlia, the main characters from London and Other Disasters, show up for a second. But no, yeah, you don't have to be the first one to read this one. What is the Venn diagram of readers of this book and Wild? Oh, I don't. Mm, it's probably not super connected. <laughs> but maybe, maybe people that would read both. I did. Um, I did ask my editor, and I'm like, can we send this to Cheryl Strayed? Like, is that possible? And Cheryl Strayed also lives in Portland, where I live. And in my head, like, we'd be friends somehow. Or, like, she'd read this book and, like, think it was great. Um, probably will never happen. But, no, I think people that um, read Wild would like this book. I mean, it's very similar themes of walking through your through your grief. But yeah, but mine just has lots of gay sex in addition. So. <laughs> so better. So better. <laughs> Same but better. Yeah. No notes. All right. What character in any of your books do you relate to the most? Mm, um, probably Alexi, honestly, from, from this book. Julie also makes me laugh a lot. Um, I think I put a lot of my like silliness kind of into her. But yeah, probably Alexi. So you also have a series of novellas. I do. That were indie published. Did you sell? Yeah, yeah, I sell those. So are there any plans to re-release them in any way? Yeah, actually, later this year, I'm planning on releasing like an omnibus edition. I don't know if that would, is that what you would call them? Sure. Yeah, so there's three novellas currently. um, So I want to release them in one big edition. And I wrote a short story recently for... The bookish box, which is kind of in the same world of the of the novellas, so I want to put them all together in like one big edition that I'm hoping to put out later this summer, so that yeah, someone can pick up like you know all of them at once if they haven't read them before. Yeah, I always meet like you know a reader occasionally who's like, oh, I love your stuff, especially the novellas, and that always I always like love that reader because. The novellas, yeah, I just put them out myself, and I feel like they're, like, the weirdest and queerest. And so I'm always like, yeah, you're my kind of person if you love the novellas. But, yeah, they take place at a queer karaoke bar, and they're all very, like, slice of life. You know, most of them take place over, you know, a couple days. And they kind of follow, like, the same gendered pairings of my traditional novels. Like, the first one is non-binary, female. The second one's MM. The third one's FF. So I like writing various gendered pairings. But anyway, so, yeah, those are also available online. Which brings us to our last most important question, which is, do you partake in karaoke? And if so, what is your go-to song? Oh, yeah. Although, so the bar that I based the novellas off has closed down, which is very sad because it was a very special place in like the weirdest, trashiest way possible. Yes, that sadly is no longer. We have like a secondary go-to karaoke place that we've discovered that's it's not as good, but it's okay. It's okay. But we really haven't gone to a karaoke night like since the pandemic. And 
kind of like when the pandemic started, I was like, oh, no, we're not going to have karaoke ever again because it's like the worst possible, like you're spitting onto this like, you know, mic that everyone is sharing, like it's the worst germ spreader of all time. So we haven't had a karaoke night since then. But my go-to song, I'd say, would probably be It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion. (laughs) All right. Have you considered getting like an at-home karaoke machine? Yes. And we have actually, no, I'd say recently, so my wife had like a holiday party where they had one of those, you know, like little room karaoke's where like, you know, five people can go into a room and sing together. And and that's fun too, but it's not the same as like the queer community that would happen in this, in this bar. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Anita for making the trek down to San Diego to visit the shop, hang out, and meet some of their readers. It was truly a delight. If this conversation has made you want to pick up their latest book, Something Wild and Wonderful, or their previous novel and novellas, you can do that right on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. And that is all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. (laughs) 